Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. Back at it like a crack addict. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 133. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Corey Gardner, and both of you gentlemen are in a lot better mood than I am. Oh, man, it was a great Saturday. Absolutely loved it. Oh, yeah, great Saturday for me. Got to see uh, Kansas' three-game losing streak come to an end, and we ended another streak heading into Saturday. So, got some big games coming up this week. And, uh, yeah, I know me and Corey were in a good mood. Josh, what about you? Why are you so mad? Um, well, there's multiple reasons. We will get into the first cause um, here just shortly. The second one is I woke up at 6.30 a.m. this Sunday to watch AC Milan, only to continue to get embarrassed by a team that hasn't won a game since mid-October. And we gave up five goals. And I have no idea what's happened to the reigning champions of Italy. But, yeah, I'm a little cranky and tired and uh, all that. But we're going to make it a good show. We're going to be fun like normal. We'll get over the Milan talk, save that for another day. But what I will mention, as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. Speaking of, I was a guest on the House of College Hoops podcast last Thursday evening. I I think it was episode seven for them. It's the most recent one. I was joined by co-founder Jake Zimmer and Sam Basil. Great talk. Good guys, man. I appreciate the invite. Go give that a listen if you have not yet. It's just search up House of College Hoops. You'll find it in all your streaming feeds. Also, Peyton, got to shout out our title sponsor of Everything College Basketball this year, uh, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It is a healthy juice bar. I just stopped in the other day, seen the owner, Natasha, picked up myself one of those beautiful tasting smoothies. It's called the Grave Digger. Plus, I got a shot of protein in there to give me a little boost before Corey and I hit the gym that evening on Friday. Good stuff, man. If you stop in and tell them ECB sent you, get 10% off your entire purchase, no matter the drink limit, one, two, five. You tell them ECB sent you, get 10% off that entire purchase. I'm telling you right now, we've been saying it all year. If you are in Edinburgh or you're passing through Edinburgh, Indiana, central Indiana, Stop in, make it a point of healthy, a skinny shot tea, a protein coffee, a healthy smoothie, because they are delicious. They, they are so good, and they are good for you, good people. Make sure you stop in if you get the opportunity. Um, before we kind of get into the Big 12 SEC Challenge from this last Saturday, Anything else on the docket you guys want to talk about at the top of the show before we get into anything? How about the Royal Rumble? We talked about it off air. Shout out our friends. You'll hear the ad here in a little bit for everything pro wrestling. But uh, Peyton, the Royal Rumble is my favorite pay-per-view of the year. We were talking about it off air, and it delivered again last night in San Antonio. 
I still need to go back and watch the men's rumble. Um, obviously, I was watching the Kansas and uh, Kentucky game last night, so the majority of that got my attention uh, during keep up with the first half of the World Rumble. But I did get to watch the second half after the Kansas game was over. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Fun show. We Ripley won the women's rumble. She went from number one to number 30. Uh, she's one of the few people, I think four people total, that's done that before. They go from number one and win the rumble. Uh, incredible accomplishment from her. We all expected her to probably win. It and I think she tweaked her knee beginning of the match, or yeah, so she the, dislocated it and popped it back in, and it popped it back in, still finished the match. She's a tough son of a bitch, and uh, that ending to the rumble, man. Like, I'm still, I went back and watched some of the clips, one of the loudest pops you ever hear in your life, and uh, incredible. The storytelling, some of the best storytelling they've done, especially in the last decade, maybe of all time. Beautiful, Mwah. chef's kiss. Yeah, you see in the live chat, as we always are, we are on the YouTube, the Facebook, and the Twitter live right now for episode 131. You see our friend of the show, Connor Makabe, says Big 12, baby, best conference of college basketball. He's not going to get any disagreements with me there because we've said it all season long so far. Corey, anything before we dive headfirst in this Big 12 SEC challenge? Anything uh, of note happened over the weekend you want to discuss? Anything good? I just wanted to say that, you know, Peyton should be really, really happy because Louisville also broke a streak uh, of 20-point losses, so they actually kept one game, you know, remotely close to the second-worst team in the ACC. So, you know, shout-out to them also, you know, to start the show off. So Peyton should be really thrilled. Yeah, Peyton, Louisville, trying to set records here. <laughs> uh, no comment from me. Let's move on. Yeah. yeah uh, Sub-300, baby. Let's go ahead and just dive in. Let's start. It was the big one that we all hyped up. And I know rankings-wise, the Tennessee-Texas game was the biggest game. We will get into that. But for every other metric, win streak versus losing streak, name value, though, number one versus number two all-time wins in Rupp Arena, let's just dive into Kansas-Kentucky because to us, that was the big one of the docket on the challenge. And, man, Rupp Arena was electric last night. It was the best Rupp Arena environment in maybe a decade. The fans showed up early. They showed out. The student section was great. Got to give a shout out to our friend of the show and ECB Top 25 uh, poll voter, Matt Sack. He's been leading the charge in the student section all year. And he had a great sign. He said he had one that said UK Sack is better than uh, KU's dick, which was great. That's a tier one sign. But Rupp Arena was great, man. They they feel the energy coming back in the program. Winners of four in a row heading into last night. The energy was there. They want to believe. And Kentucky, to start this game, came out like a ball of fire. Kansas absolutely could not handle Kentucky pushing the basketball, getting to the rim and downhill. Chris Livingston had eight points in the first half. Like I think he got all of them in the first ten minutes. Uh, you had Kaysan Wallace was doing good. But eventually, Kansas settles down. They go to the same play that has killed Kentucky all year with a ball screen, but they changed the location of it. Sometimes it's a high ball screen, then they went a middle ball screen, and then they went a side ball screen. And a lot of credit's needed to Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris running those ball screens. You got production actually out of your bigs and K.J. Adams on the lobs, doing well. Kansas, probably the key to this game, the two in my mind, were – Kansas did a tremendous job keeping the night the nation's best offensive rebounding team off the glass. 
They out-rebounded them. They actually had more offensive rebounds in this ball game than Kentucky did. Did a great job controlling the backboard, and they hit the big shots when Kentucky didn't. Um, we're going to talk all about Jalen Wilson's just clutch shooting. We're going to talk about McCuller throwing shit in because I think, honestly, that's what he did. He threw shit in, but nonetheless, it counts the same. K.J. Adams, 17 in this game. Peyton, just the overall, before we really dive in, the overall thoughts on this game last night from both perspectives. Fun game. It's a hell of an atmosphere. Hats off to BBN. They definitely showed out. Uh, one of the best atmospheres that you've seen uh, you've seen in the last five years for this Kentucky team. And uh, yeah, everything you said was correct. Kentucky started off strong. They went up 9-4. Uh, Kansas was struggling, especially with uh, Kentucky's size down low. Couldn't really stop Oscar. Jacob Toppin started off the game pretty hot. Had a couple, I think he had like six points in the first couple of buckets made. Um, played very well. But once Kansas started to sandal down, hats off to Dwan Harris. In the last like three, four games he has not played well he hasn't shot the ball well well he had two back-to-back threes at one point and uh he had eight assists in this game he had eight points eight assists one rebound two turnovers but that was early in the game kind of driving to the lane just threw it away not very smart on his part but he really took care of the ball the majority of the game and i thought he played well <clears throat> and kevin mccullough he Dwayne Wilson was the best player in the four. Kevin McCullough, we don't win this game without him. I mean, he had a double-double. 11 points, 12 rebounds. Defensively, he was great. Uh, listen to this stat. 12 rebounds. Oscar Shibway had nine. He out-rebounded one that, in my eyes, the best rebounder I've ever seen, period. In college basketball, is just basketball, period. And he out-rebounded him 12-9, and he's a guard. Hell of a display by Kevin McCullough and the offensive rebounding that we, uh, Kentucky only had two offensive rebounds. That was the key, and uh, we held him off the glass, and we ended up winning the game. Hats off to Kentucky, though, because that atmosphere was incredible. Corey, and early on, you could tell that Kansas's game plan was to double down on Oscar every time he caught the ball, but Oscar was kicking the ball out. He ended up in this game with, what, he had four assists and probably could have had a few more if a guy like C.J. Frederick would have hit some shots. Every time Kansas ran a double team down, Oscar was making them pay, and that was during the early part when Kentucky was out and running and really kind of in control of the game early. Um, kind of thoughts on that. Yeah, no. Uh, Kansas came in. I mean, what they uh, what they had as a game plan early on wasn't really working. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Kentucky was doing or, or was kind of you know doing things at will. Uh, but you know, Bill Self, you can never you know never take him out. Uh, great coach, made great adjustments, and you know, Kansas adjusted and finally started to figure it out. And Kentucky just didn't have anything to change back after that. And you know, you kind of mentioned it. Things the things that Kentucky had struggled with early on uh, came back to kind of bite them. Uh, you know, they kind of put that new lineup together, kind of put some different things in action. And, you know, uh, Kansas still took advantage and was ever to exploit it. So let's go ahead and get the negative out of the way. And I want to preface this with Kansas absolutely, at the end of the day, deserved this win. Because you look at Kentucky, they lose by nine. The final score was 77-68. Kentucky Missed seven free throws. Now, I know you're saying, like, well, if you hit all of them, you are still only lose by two. But the flow of the game is different because those misses came early in the first half. You hit them free throws early. Now, instead of being up three or four, maybe you're up ten. That's a little harder mountain to climb back from. But the negative side, because Kansas did play very well, the two things that just frustrated the dog shit out of me last night were fouls on both ends. Refereeing is a disaster in college basketball this year. 
Again, Kansas had more fouls than Kentucky. But you also got to look, too, Kentucky was attacking the rim. They had a crazy rate in the second half. That's where Kansas picked up most of their fouls. But there could have been more called on both ends of the floor. There could have been more. Like, there's no consistency in college basketball. I, I've got a picture on my phone from Twitter where they gave credit to Kevin McCuller on a steal because he doubled weak side. But the picture in the still frame is clearly him running through and grabbing Oscar's arm. And they say it's a play on. Oscar got mugged last night. He got mugged. And he still put up numbers. He, he ended up the game with 18 points, 9 rebounds. If they called half the fouls that he actually got fouled on, we're talking about a typical Oscar night. He got absolutely mugged. On the Kansas, right here's the picture if you're watching live on the YouTube and the Twitter and the Facebook. Look at that. If you zoom in on that, McCuller's arm is literally wrapping Oscar's arm. I think Peyton's trying to zoom in now. That is a foul all day, every day, twice on Sunday. But they don't call it. Just because Oscar's big doesn't mean he does not deserve to get a foul call. So they mugged Oscar all game long. Also, if we're talking about going against Kentucky, late in the game when they kept trying to get it close, I think they'd got it down to three or four points. Jalen Wilson goes in an ISO on the weak side, ball side, and backs top and down. Okay, great. Great post position. Great back down by Wilson. But he lowers his shoulder and knocks top and back 13 feet almost. And instead of an offensive charge, which it is historically in college basketball the last couple of years, been 99% of the time, they gave a defensive block charge to Jacob Toppin. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then also on the Kansas end, like I said, I'm going to be fair here because a lot of times, especially in the second half, Kansas guards would drive on the and we hands on and nothing was called. College basketball refing, and I put it on our Facebook group, and I never thought I would say this, and people could be upset with me, and that's fine. But I'm to the point where I'm so done with them because they're arrogant. They dictate the game far too much. And I'm to the point where let's go minor league baseball, what they're installing in the minor leagues, whereas automatic refereeing, auto umps, robots, whatever you want to call them, artificial intelligence. And let's get the correct call every time. I'm just, I'm just tired of them. And I know it sounds bad because we're going to have actual humans lose their jobs. But damn it, there is enough bad right now that is clouding the good. And they don't have to be held accountable. And I'm sick and tired of it dictating games. Would Kansas still win this game if all them fouls were called? Probably, because again, they hit shots when it mattered. But who knows if you call the fouls correctly? And now certain people are in foul trouble or you get other free throw attempts or whatever the case may be. Who knows how this game turns out? But I know that the officials are terrible in college basketball this year. And before I kind of talk about any other things that I thought Candace got a little lucky on, they had every bounce go their way, it seemed like. And I'll give examples. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I know I ran it and raved, but I want to hear your thoughts on that, honestly. 
Uh, one thing I will agree with you on is the whole Oscar getting mugged situation. It's it's not just it's not wasn't just the Kansas game. It's been all season long that he's been getting mugged and the refs just won't call anything. Like why are we punishing guys for being big? Uh, why are we punishing guys who are inside forces just because they're a tank and they're big as fuck and they're strong and they could probably take the punishment down low? That doesn't mean they're exempt from getting fouls called on them. Like it's ridiculous. Like there's definitely some possessions down low where. Oscar was getting double teamed by Jalen Wilson and KJ Adams, and Jalen Wilson was just hacking at his arm, and Kevin McCullough would do the exact same thing and just beating him up down low because we had to, because we're undersized. That's what we got to do to win. Happened in the Tennessee game. Plosvic was doing the same thing to Oscar Sheboy. Uh, Sakai Ziggler was doing the same thing to Oscar Sheboy. It's happened all season long. But one thing I will say about the fouls, like if you're going to talk about that, about Oscar getting mugged, let's talk about all the times in this game where Oscar, every time he'd get a post down low, he would hook KJ Adams, and that's not a foul. How is that not a foul call? Every single time he hooked KJ Adams at one point and knocked his ass on the ground. How is that not and, a foul no. either? It goes both ways. No, no, and I completely agree. That's what I said. It, I completely agree. Like Kentucky guards fouled, especially in the second half, fouled Kansas guards a lot of the time that was not called. But my whole contention is the refs just let it go, and then they want to call the tackiest shit. Peyton, I think you even texted in the group that that foul on Jacob Toppin on the back down was absolute bullshit. That It was terrible. Yeah, I said it was a bad call. Awful. Corey, I want to hear your stuff. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, there's just so many calls that just haven't have made no sense. And it's like they put in the flopping rule this year, and I swear, like they're they still are afraid to call it, or they get away with so many things. And it's like, I mean, I know you guys are talking about the Kansas Kentucky game, but it was like the Indiana Ohio State game. Grace Thompson's doing a simple back down, never lowered his shoulder, never did a single thing, and a uh, high state defender falls over. It's offensive foul. Same exact thing. Uh, Malik uh, Reno is getting back down. He falls over. And they call an offensive foul without any kind of lowering the shoulder, nothing. I mean, it's like there's just no no answer to what these refs are calling. And it's like I didn't know that we're you know, fans are paying all this money to go to a game just to watch the, the zebras make a blow a whistle. It's like they forgot what the game's actually about and it's horrible. And on the flopping call, that's such a dumb rule that they implemented this year because they anytime they call it, they rarely do call it this year. I haven't seen them call it a lot this year. But even when they do, like, how are you going to justify what's a flop or what's not a flop? Like, in this game specifically, Grady Dick had a wide-open layup. He's in transition. And I don't know if it was Antonio Reeves or C.J. Frederick was trying to take a charge and then completely fell back, barely yeah. any contact. Like, how was yeah. – if you're going to put the flop rule in, isn't that not a flop? I mean, come on now. It's a stupid no, it, rule. It should not be in the fucking rule book at all. But if it's going to be, if it's good, if it's going to be a rule, at least call it. Yeah, no, you're right. It was Reeves getting back in transition, and and I do want to talk about again. Kansas hit the shots that mattered. Like they hit the ones that mattered. They kept Kentucky at a base the whole game. They would keep them about five or six points. Kentucky would get it down to three. Kansas would put it back to six. It was like that the whole second half. It felt like. So credit to Kansas, man. They made the adjustments. We talked about it. the going to the higher mid or side ball screens, uh, locking in defensively. They locked the paint up. Kentucky shooters were absolutely cold because they they focused on making them run off the line. And if they had a shot, it was contested. Uh, CJ Frederick, I've never seen a guy who we know is a great shooter miss so many open shots. I've never in my life. And he is a good shooter. 
but he missed so many open shots in this game and the previous games. It's it's you wonder what the hell is going on. If he ever gets hot, I'd still say watch out. But uh, Kansas did what they had to do. And the reason I said that you can tell that they had some lucky stuff, but this is what happens too when you have a little momentum on your side. Go back to a couple of those plays where uh, the one where Kaysan Walsh was clearing a defensive rebound, and uh, I think it was Uday smacks the ball out of his hands that goes straight to Kansas for a layup. That would have changed the course of the game there because Kentucky gets a stop. They go down and potentially tie him up. Uday sticks his hand out, knocks it free right to a wide – I think it might have been McCuller for a wide-open layup. Or the time McCuller, Kentucky locked in defensively. Great defense. For the whole entire shot clock, McCuller just turns, fires, hits a shot that he probably doesn't hit 90% of the time. Jalen Wilson, we know how great he's been, but he hits a dagger late as well where he's going off to the corner, shot clock's running down. He just catches, barely gets off the ground. They call it a two because that's the one when his foot was on line. Barely gets off the ground, high points the shot. And nothing but net. Didn't even get a full shot off. It's like he just threw it up and it goes in. So Kansas had some very fortunate bounces go their way last night. But at the end of the day, they made the right adjustments. Wilson looked like an All-American. He looked like a potential National Player of the Year last night. And you got production from Dewan Harris. K.J. Adams was great in this game. Kevin McCuller did what he needed to do. And Kansas comes out with the win. So I do want to give Kansas a lot of credit in this game. But I needed to present those arguments because the refing was terrible both ends of the floor. Super inconsistent, as it has been all year. Kentucky hits free throws. This is a different ballgame. Kentucky does not hit the shots. Kansas gets all the bounces go their way. It was just one of those perfect storms last night. And Kansas found a way to leave Rupp Arena with a nine-point win. I I do want to ask, though, um, you, you hear it now. You know, field of 68. Just because Kentucky loses this game, oh, well, we don't even know if Kentucky's a tournament team now. Does that look like a team that shouldn't be in the NCAA tournament last night? Everything goes wrong for about 30 minutes of this game, and you still have a chance to win it. Does that look like a team that should not be in the NCAA tournament? No, I think they should be in it. They play like that. I mean, how they jumped us early, got out to a 9-4 lead, and uh, they led majority of the like the beginning of the first half. Uh, Kentucky's last lead was 22-21 with like under 10 minutes to go, and that's the last time they led the game. Uh, Kansas took the lead and just never looked back from, there, from that point on. Um, I still think they're a tournament team. They got to figure out some shit offensively. Um, I was very impressed with how well they played. Oscar Sheboy, like... Let me talk about him real quick, because there's some stuff. I did some research about Kentucky just about like an hour ago before we started the show and getting everything ready about that three-point shooting. <clears throat> I'll get into that in a minute, but let me talk about Oscar. I talked about it Sunday. I talked about it Thursday. Why the fuck does Oscar not touch the ball every single possession down the floor? There were times, and that's not all. That's not always on Coach Cal. Is it somewhat you can blame on Coach Cal for not getting him the ball? Yes, but to his... To play devil's advocate, he ran some cross screens, some plays to get Oscar open. He was wide open, but Jacob Toppin or CJ Frederick would not give him the ball. 
There was a play down low, but they were in some type of cross screen. Oscar was wide open down the low block. Jacob Toppin literally looked at him, and instead of dropping him down low, because I think Jalen Wilson was on him, that's a mismatch, he tries to throw a cross-court pass and gets picked yep. off by Grady Dick. Yep. Like, that's basketball IQ. Like, that's not all talent. That's not three-point shooting. Like, no. That's not coaching. That's all basketball IQ. You got to make the smart play. When you, Jalen Wilson was the best player on the floor. The best player on the floor. But there's no question Oscar Schieber was the most dominant player on the floor. Yeah. And you have him on the floor, get him the fucking ball. Every possession. And he was scoring just about every possession or kicking it out, too, is the crazy thing. When you made your run, it was a lot of because you was giving him the ball down low and he'd make him move and go up with a layup. And and at some point, C.J. Frederick's got to hit two points, one of three from the field, 0 of five from three. Kentucky only shot two of 13 from three-point line, which is not great, obviously. Uh, that's 15%. That, that's not good. And they've been shooting the higher volume of them, so I don't know if Cal got scared. Plus, some of the lineups were awkward at times last night where we had Lance Ware in with Toppin and – I just uh, with Oscar, I know the the conventional wisdom says two fouls got to set him for a while. I think in a game like that, you got to trust him and play him. He only he only ended up with three fouls, and I, I do want to give a little love before we move on to Kason Wallace. Fourteen points, six rebounds, five assists, one block, five steals to only two turnovers. Kason Wallace was tremendous last night. I, I thought he was as good as it got last night for Kentucky in this ball game. And then also on the Kansas end, Grady Dick had a quiet game in terms of scoring, 13 points, only one three. That three came at a huge time because, again, Kentucky had closed the gap. Grady got the ball, shot fake case on Wallace, who went flying to try to block it. One sidestep, buried a three. I thought he was solid enough last night, and he showed some signs of life again after kind of struggling. So, I mean, it, you know, Somebody had to win, somebody had to lose this game. Kansas stops their streak, comes in, gets a win at Rupp, see if that fires them back up for the rest of the year. Kentucky, they they can't let this loss turn into more. They've got seven on the year. So, I mean, it's obviously dangerous time. But they got Ole Miss coming up on the road, got to get a win there, and see if you can't put another streak together until Tennessee comes back to Rupp. You know, I, I think the – what's the win total margin – at the end of the year, it, do you think Kentucky needs at least 21 wins to get in the tournament safely? Uh, Corey, go ahead. I got to look at the schedule. Uh, I'd say right around the 19 to 20 wins. Uh, I think we'd get them in safely, I think, um, in my opinion. I mean, they are still playing the SEC. I think they're going to pick up some wins. Uh, you know, the the – Overall, I mean, I think it'll be right around 19 to 20 wins. We'll get them in. They may be in a playing game, but I think that'll get that'll at least get them into the field of 68. Right now, looking on Kimpon, they have Kentucky, they have Kentucky finishing 19 and 12 on Kimpon. That's what Kimpon's record for Kentucky. They haven't finished in 19 and 12. And look at their remaining schedule. I mean, they do got that Tennessee game in Rupp Arena. Um, definitely can get, if you can sweep Tennessee this year, that's another marquee win for them. Um, be a huge momentum boost for them. I think that alone would get them in the tournament. But you got you got to play Arkansas twice, which Arkansas has not been playing well here lately. Um, to be fair, I mean, Florida, Auburn, 
Auburn was ranked. They were top 15 this week, but they lost. Um, haven't been the Auburn team that we expect to come into this year. There's not really – and once you get an SE tournament, obviously, if you play like Bama or something, you have another chance to get a high-quality win. But there's not many high-quality wins left for Kentucky on their schedule. So no. I think they got to get – I think they got to get 20 wins plus to get into the yeah. tournament. Yeah, and I mean, there's some very tough ones. I know Ole Miss is struggling, but you got to go down there. You got to get a win. Florida next Saturday at home. Uh, you never know with Florida with Colin Castleton. Looking at their schedule as far as Ken Palm goes, of the regular season, they have six remaining games against top 50 Ken Palm teams. You get Florida at home, Arkansas at home. You've got Tennessee at home. Then you got to go at Florida, home against Auburn, away against Arkansas. You got to take care of the home games there. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, I still think Kentucky's a tournament team, especially with the bubble being absolute dog shit this year. I think Kentucky, as long as they don't completely, again, collapse down the stretch, I think that they win enough games, get in the tournament, and you never know. All you got to do this year is get in the tournament. And by the way, you wonder how great Kansas was on controlling the backboard? Kentucky dropped to number six in offensive rebounds now. They were at, getting about 40% of their offensive rebounds leading the nation. They're now six, getting 37.7%. That's a big drop for one game. That's how that's, great Kansas did on the backboard. That's ridiculous. And before we move on to another game, a real quick note on Kentucky, because I was talking about my research that I did. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about three-point rating. He was making fun of Tyler Hansborough for saying that Kentucky can't hit shots and they don't consistently hit shots, even though they should like shoot like 37% from a three-point line this year. And in a way, he, he's definitely wrong. But I think there's some truth. This He holds a little bit of weight in what he's saying. It's just, in big games, listen to this stat, and this is my research only. In big games so far this year, Kentucky's three-point percentage. Against Michigan State, they shot 28%, 7-25, they lost that game. 24% against Gonzaga, lost that game, 6-25. 60% against Michigan, really good. Guess what? They won that game. 25% against Alabama, 5-20, lost. 31%, 5-16 for Tennessee. They won, but Tennessee um, didn't really play that well. And then today, or last night, 16% or 15%, 2 or 13 against Kansas, and they lost that game. In big games, Kentucky does not shoot the ball well from three. And it's not just C.J. Frederick. It's not just Antonio Leaves. It's just everybody. And in those six games, the average percentage of shooting from three is 30.6. If they want to win these big games... Yeah, they did it to Tennessee. Yeah, they did it to, or they did it against Michigan. They gotta hit shots. Period. Absolutely right. Could not agree with you more. And I don't know if that's a psychology thing. I don't know if they start missing a couple and Cal's like, ah, no, it's pound the paint. But something definitely has to change. Great observation. Great points by you. Let's move on to the other big game in this challenge. Tennessee holds home court, beats Texas in a pretty fun game, 82-71. The Vols got out to a pretty big lead at one point, 61-39 with 12-29 to go in the second half. And Texas rallied. Once they got down, Texas got it within, I think, 10 points at one point. But the star of the show, probably surprising, was Olivier and Kamala. The senior had 27 points on 12 of 15 shooting from the floor. He was tremendous in this game. Zakai Ziegler goes for 22, uh, hit three threes in this game, 10 assists. Uh, man, Tennessee's with what happened to Alabama, I'm sure we'll briefly talk about. Tennessee, as, it depends on what happened. Purdue's up 15-7 on Michigan State, so it depends on what happens, but 
Tennessee's at bare minimum going to be number two in the ECB top 25 poll tomorrow. And they look, I, I put a tweet out on our, on our Twitter that said, I know it's easy to not trust them based on past tournament history, but this Tennessee team looks like a legit Final Four team. Your guys' thoughts on this victory against Texas? I thought they played really well. I mean, they didn't, they didn't shoot the ball well at all. 31%, uh, 31% from three-point line, 6-19. But Zakai Ziggler, you mentioned him, 22-10. and 10. Um, I think he's the difference maker. Zikai, uh, Santiago Vascovi, didn't really, I mean, he had 12-8. and eight, But the star, the, show, the star of the show was definitely in Kalamar. Uh, 27, three assists, eight rebounds, played 33 minutes. Um... Tennessee's defensively, they're really fucking good. We know that top three. I think they're still the number one defense team in the country, going to Ken Palm. Um, but offensively, they just they need to keep showing us consistently because they've been beating teams. Besides the Kentucky game, every time they win, they've been beating teams' ass. And uh, it's really interesting watching this. And Texas, man, they've been, they've been on a win streak coming into this game. Uh, they got down early, started to fight their way, claw their way back. Um, Jabari Rice came off the bench, had 21 for them. But once again, their three-point shooting is not good at all. They shot 29.2%. They can't hit shots either. So, hats off to Tennessee. And Tennessee's definitely, if they hit shots and consistently get better offensively, they're definitely a Final Four caliber team. One of the biggest things, and I was say, one of the biggest things that was a differential also is just Tennessee absolutely dominated the boards. I mean, they, they out-rebounded Texas 38-23. Uh, on the offensive end, it was pretty close, 11-8. to eight. But the biggest thing with Tennessee is they just are so heavy relying on their starters. I mean, their bench only had three points last night. So to really be, you know, a true tournament team, I mean, you're going to have to face some, yeah, you're going to face some, uh, you know, uh, adversity, you know, come time. It's like, you know, you got to have somebody step up that's maybe not in your starting five. You know, if you get in foul trouble, something like that, I think that's going to be the deciding factor. Uh, but overall, no. We thought this was going to be a slugfest, or at least I did when I predicted. Um, and I tell you, it was a it was a lot more of an offensive game than what I you know originally expected. Um, you know, they opened the lead up to twenty two, got it down to ten eleven. Um, but no, I think uh, I think Texas the biggest differential is is they still got to hit shots, kind of like you guys touched on. Tennessee, the way they play reminds me a lot of Virginia because if they can get their footing defensively early and suffocate you, they have more offense than Virginia. I, I know, again, you don't trust their offense. Phil's mentioned this. But when it comes down to nut-cutting time, man, I trust a guy like Zakai Ziegler and Viscovi and all their bigs to make a play. And the way they play, they, they just get out and beat you up and get out early so the offense doesn't become an issue most games. But this team looks – they're big, with the exception of Ziegler. I, I get that, but they're big. They're nasty. They defend. What will happen, again, back to Phil's point weeks ago, what happens when they get in the tournament? The rims are a little tighter. You're playing on floors you've not seen. You're playing teams that you don't really know. If you have a cold shooting night and the other team's hitting, how does Tennessee respond? But on the surface, man, they look like one of the best teams in the country. And on the Texas end of things, Sir Jabari Rice has been tremendous coming over for them. He had 21 in this game, Marcus Carr 11, and when they made that rally coming down for 22, he was attacking the rim, hitting jump shots in transition. Didn't really get much out of Tyrese Hunter, seven points in this game. Dylan D'Souza's been kind of disappointing this year coming over from Vandy, uh, two points in this game. Uh, Tennessee, or sorry, I'm Texas, they were kind of all over the place. Didn't really get outside of Rice, didn't really get a whole lot of great performances. What do we think of Texas? We, we know how good their ceiling is and how good they can be, but 
do you trust them to get to the second weekend right now? And and I mean that. I know it's going to sound crazy because they're end up with a top four seed. I just think with the right matchup that they can see an early exit. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't know if you know. I don't know if they have the consistency, especially when it comes to tournament time and the spotlights on. And you know, March Madness always brings those upsets. And I think they're going to be a, a team that's an easy, you know, easily susceptible to getting, you know a four versus 13 or, you know, a three fourteen that we love to see an upset and, you know, the Cinderella team starts. And I think they're, they're the team that, you know, has a, has an opportunity to be an early exit. I think the big discrepancy here is like, they just don't hit shots. I mean, they're shooting 33.2% from the three point line. That's not good enough to fucking, and if you're playing a team that's able to hit shots and also defend, get out of one, I mean, that's definitely a mismatch for them. Um, definitely can see them going out the first weekend. And uh, but the thing is, like they got enough talent if they're hitting shots and if they can pit it together in March and they can go on to a run where they can make a second weekend plus type of a run if they hit shots. But that's the key for me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to one of the biggest shockers of the day yesterday in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Number one in the ECB Top 25 poll, Alabama went to Oklahoma and got Soonered up by the Sooners. I mean, it was an absolute ass whooping. Alabama led 2-0 was their only lead. Oklahoma wins this game 93-69. Fellas, your immediate reaction to this absolute domination by the Oklahoma Sooners. I don't know if Alabama ever got off the bus, honestly. Like, everything I was watching and, you know, kind of read about afterwards and, you know, kind of clicked in and checked out the game and realized that it wasn't even close. But I don't know if Alabama even thought there was a game yesterday. I mean, they just never started out. They never got rolling. They, I mean, they never even were competitive in this game. Oklahoma dominated every aspect, and they flat put it on. Yeah, I don't think they showed up at all. The thing is, they almost took it down to Mississippi State earlier in the week, too. They struggled against them and almost got beat by them, but ended up pulling it out, and they did get beat here. Um, Oklahoma, I mean, they put up 93 points. Hats off to them. Fucking Grant Sherfield had 30 points in this game. Six assists, three rebounds. Very efficient game, 11-20 from the field. 4-5 from the three-point line, so he's stretching out, hitting some shots. Hill had 26 points. Once again, another efficient night. 9 of 11 from the field, eight rebounds. Uh, Tanner Groves, his ability to stretch it out and hit on that pick and pop is just disgusting 14 14 points five or seven from the field 12 rebounds he had a double double and as a team oklahoma just hit the blitz them from the three-point line nine to 13 that's 69 percent alabama couldn't guard the perimeter couldn't guard the three-point line and that was his biggest fault um Nate Kyle, oh, not uh, Clowney didn't really play his best. Brandon Miller had only 11 points, 4 14 from the field. Didn't really play his best. Devon Quinterly had 12 points coming off the bench, um, but he fouled out. Hats off to Oklahoma. Huge win for them. Yeah, the Sooners got a dominant resume win. And I do want to ask, because I've seen it kind of bandied about by some Alabama people. Do you think what's going on with Darius Miles? Do you think that's finally catching up with Bama? Because in the immediate aftermath, Bama was continued to dominate teams. But this week, they, they you mentioned they played the close one to Mississippi State on the road, and then they get absolutely throttled here. Do you think what's going on with their teammate, former teammate, however you want to look at it, is finally starting to catch up and affect them mentally? Because this is not the Alabama we've come to know. I think one of the biggest things is, is, you know, he was just somebody to rely on and stuff like that. I mean, 
every team when you lose a guy, you know, it, it just runs the, you know, the, uh, the culture. It kind of runs the camaraderie that you have with your team. And I think overall, but it was like, I don't know if it's really that showing up or if it was just they just got lazy because, I mean, they flat got beat on every every screen. They were a step behind. Every rebound, they are a step behind. Like, I don't know what it was, but, I, I mean, like I said, I don't know if it was – just having somebody that, you know, was always there and, you know, a, a teammate to kind of rely back or, you know, put their back on. But there's like something's going on down. And, I mean, this week was just a bad week overall for him. Yeah, I mean. and playing a Porter Moser-led team is the wrong team to not show up for a fight against because you know whether they're good or bad, they're going to play their ass off against you. And uh, Peyton, uh, Charles Bidaki only played eight minutes in this game. I mean, he's such a difference maker for this team at seven foot with blocking shots and stuff. He only played eight minutes. He only had one foul. I don't recall that he get injured because him I only playing know. eight minutes. Him him being not in the game that long to protect the rim was a huge, uh, obviously a huge deal because Oklahoma shot fifty four percent from inside the three point line. Um, do, do you know if he was injured or what was going on there? I haven't heard anything. I didn't get to watch too much of this game. I mean, there's other games I was wanting to watch, but the time I did get to see, I mean, he was on the floor. I mean, he did what he could in his eight minutes. I don't, the fact that he has one foul, I actually don't know. He had three turnovers, so maybe that had something to do with it, but I'm sure he probably tweaked an ankle, got injured or something. I don't know. I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to find that out real quick, but yeah, you mentioned the, you mentioned the point about Alabama not coming to play and it's not a good idea when you're playing a Porter Mosier team. Yeah, it's not a good idea to have a bad game when you're playing any team in the Big 12 this year. It doesn't matter if it's Oklahoma or fucking West Virginia yep. or even Texas Tech. Like, I'm sure Texas Tech would have probably done the same thing to them that Oklahoma did. Like, the Big 12 is just a different conference right now. By the way, they won the fucking, they won the challenge 7-3 um, overall. So they dominated this, uh, the last Big 12 SEC challenge. Yeah, and we're going to talk about one of the SEC's wins here in just a moment. But Alabama, I do want to clarify something. Because, again, put it on the Twitter, at ACB Podcast 10. And it's getting a lot of love, as it should. Because I want we've blown up Purdue all year. And I'm just going to be very direct here. We have blown them up. Peyton and I have seen them. We're going to see them more this year. In the next coming weeks, they are a great team. But you talk about the most sensitive bunch of fans I've seen so far this year. They were upset that we had Alabama number one in our poll this week. Ah, well, who have they beat? Blah, blah, blah. And then they want to jump on because Alabama got smacked around yesterday. Oh, well, that's your number one team? (laughs) I want to let you guys know something. That you are allowed as a great team. You are allowed an off night here and there. Alabama went on the road to a tough place to play. And just got slapped. Not a good look, I understand. But you're allowed an off night. But to say that, oh, they suck. That was your number one team? Blah, blah, blah. Get out of your head that Purdue is this legacy program. We understand you guys are excited because for the last couple seasons, you finally got number one. You're excited as you should be. But that doesn't mean you have to be so sensitive where you tear other teams down. Because I got news for you. If Alabama plays their potential, and they play Purdue, it'll be a great game. But I think Alabama, the ability to pull Purdue away from the rim, is going to beat Purdue in a head-to-head game. So let's stop this right now. You can be excited for your team. You can maybe be a little annoyed that we had Alabama number one. But to tear them down to try to make your point good, because I got news for you. It's going to happen the way college basketball is. There is going to be a game before the end of the year that Purdue gets absolutely embarrassed. It will happen. 
Who's it going to be to? We don't know. But there's going to be a game Purdue loses by double digits and looks absolutely awful. And what goes around comes around. So when you're making fun of Alabama and trying to say they suck and blah, 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 and upset that we put them number one, keep that same energy once Purdue gets their ass whooped. Because it will happen. And it doesn't mean Purdue's a bad team. We all love this Purdue team. But it's going to Not happen. Not all of us. And, and you know Not what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But it's going to happen, and when it does happen, I hope you're ready for the shit-talking and backlash. By the way, you're the same fans that for years that wanted to fire your coach, and who was over here defending your coach to you? But now you're in love with him. Make your mind up. That's my Hey, opinion. let's get him a t-shirt. <laughs> Hashtag fire painter. Let's do it, baby. And as far as Purdue goes, their last four games, three of their last four games has ended has been two possession games. Go back to Thursday night against Michigan. They they won the game seventy five to seventy. Go back to the following week on Sunday, January twenty second against Maryland. They won by three points, fifty eight fifty five. Beat the shit out of Minnesota, but everybody does that. Who gives a fuck about Minnesota? Um, and then the game before that on January sixteenth, they beat Michigan State by one point, uh, 64-63. So it's not like you're blowing these teams out like Alabama was fucking doing. Alabama was beating the shit out of fucking LSU by 40 points. They was beating the shit out of almost everybody they played. And yeah, they had an off night. Guess what? You guys did too when you lost to Rutgers 65-64. And we defended you there because... Why do we care about being number one? It's fucking January. Who gives a shit if you're number one? How about get to the final four? That should be your one and only goal. Who gives a shit about rankings? Get to the tournament, which they obviously are. Be a high seed, which they obviously are. They're going to be. And fucking make a run in the tournament get to the final four. That should be your fucking goal. Who gives a shit about all these rankings? And as far as them going to get their ass whipped, ass kicked by here soon, it might be this Saturday. Am I right, Corey? Oh, yeah. Because you know why? Because they're coming down to the Assembly Hall, baby. Just like last year when we talked about it. Man, I can't wait. I want to segue to Indiana, but let's real quick finish up this SEC Big 12 Challenge real quick, and we'll segue to Indiana. Um, Just a couple quick results in this challenge that stood out. Uh, Missouri continues their hot streak. You just don't go into Missouri and beat them this year. They hit 14 of 33 point shots, 46 almost. If you round up 47% from three, Kobe Brown looks like an all SEC, maybe the SEC player of the year. Demoy Hodge, 17 points. This SEC or this Missouri team, Dennis Gates has changed their identity. They play fast. They run a spread offense where it's hard to defend. If you are not connected, they will hit shots. If you overplay, they attack the rim. They press you on defense. What a fun Missouri team that's now 16-5. They beat Iowa State 78-61. And we know how Iowa State's been. Obviously, no Caleb Grill in this game. Kalser only 14. Jaron Holmes led it with 19. But Missouri, they are one of those teams that they're going to be in the tournament. And they could easily get red hot in these games and make a deep run in March. What a fun Missouri Tigers team to watch. And the thing is, I mean, it's not like Iowa State didn't have shots either. Both of these teams were lighting the nets up. Both of them shot 40 plus, 40% plus from the three-point line. 6 of 15 from the three-point line for Iowa State. And you mentioned 14 of 30 from Missouri. Um, and the thing is, Iowa State pretty much dominated the glass. 38 rebounds for Iowa State, 25 for Missouri. But still, Missouri was able to hold out that dub. And maybe while Iowa State was missing a guy like Caleb Glill, um, 
But it doesn't change the fact that Missouri is a good-ass team, better than any of us thought, and they're hard out in the tournament because if they hit shots, they got a all-SEC first-team type of player in Kobe Brown, and they got guys like fucking Isaiah Mosley, who I was wanting out of Louisville, a big-time player who hasn't really played his best to start the season off, or so far, a couple months to start the season off. But he's still a type of player that can go get you 15-plus any given night. And they're hard out in the tournament, man. I wouldn't want to play in them come March. Absolutely not. Um, Corey, the other one real quick I want to touch on, ended up being a great game. We kind of thought with the absences of Nick Smith, and obviously we know that uh, – uh, I just forgot his name, the other kid from Arkansas that's out this year. Uh, Trayvon Brazil. Brazil, thank you. We thought maybe – and the Baylor's been red hot. We've documented this over the last couple of weeks that this might be a little blowout considering it was at Baylor, but Arkansas kept this thing interesting. They led for a long stretch of this game. Baylor does what they do. They battled back with a great backcourt. Keontae George was star of stars in this game, 24 points. You know, he was tremendous. Cryer went for 20. But I do want to give some credit to Arkansas. Uh, Ricky Council continues to be one of the best scorers in college basketball. He had 25 points for Arkansas, did all he could do. Debo Davis was really good in this game for a long stretch of time, 16 points. Didn't really get much uh, scoring production from everybody else, but Arkansas battled, man, and it's such a shame that they're not fully healthy because we got small glimpses back in November when they were healthy. Trevon Brazil was there in Maui. Um, Nick Smith only played a couple games. But, man, if Nick Smith and Brazil were on this team, we're talking a whole lot different about Arkansas. So I do want to give them credit because I still think they are – extremely talented and could be very dangerous on any given night. But Peyton Baylor is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Oh yeah. Uh, their backcourt is top three in my eyes, and I still think they got the best backcourt in the country. And the reason is, is like I mentioned it Thursday night when we was talking about them when they beat Kansas on Monday. Um, I mentioned it when you guys, when you got guys like Cryer and Flagler and George who can all get buckets anytime they want to. It doesn't matter if one of them has an off game because the other two or one of them is going to go off. And it happened in the Kansas game. Uh, Keontae George only had like eight points, but LJ Cryer stepped up in the first half of like. 15 in the first half, and the second half, Flagler had 15 as well. Um, and in this one, it showed. Guess what? Adam Flagler doesn't play well, has five points, three rebounds. Guess what? It's okay. LJ Carr gets 20 points. Oh, that's not enough for you? Keontae George gets 24. I mean, those guys had 44 points coming off both of their fingertips combined. Uh, and defensively, the reason they struggled early on when they went in that three-game losing streak is they could not defend the perimeter. I mean, go back. I mean, Iowa State, they gave up 77 points. TCU, they gave up 88 points. Kansas State, they gave up 97 points. The last three games, Oklahoma, uh, January 21st, gave up 60 points. January, uh, January 23rd on Monday, gave up 75 or gave up 69 points. Excuse me. And then yesterday, they only gave up 64 points. All through those games, no team has scored over 70 points. They're finally getting better guarding the perimeter. And defensively, they're getting a lot better. And if they continue to hit shots, man, this team is Final Four good. Like you mentioned Thursday, they're cutting the nets down tight good. And defensively, they're getting it figured out, man. This team's scary. Baylor's fucking legit. Hey, and how about the end of this game almost gave us one of the craziest endings in college basketball? Arkansas is going to the foul line with, I think it was like two seconds. I forget the exact time. But, and I forget who was on the free throw line. I, I'm wanting to say it was Debo Davis. But he steps up, misses the free throw. Baylor's, or sorry, Baylor's up three. It gets deflected out 
Joseph Pinion wide open in the corner. I mean, nobody around within 100 yards of him. Wide open, lets the ball go as time expires. And I thought, holy shit, we're going to overtime. And it hit the top of the backboard. I thought, oh, he got, you couldn't have got a cleaner look. Imagine that goes to overtime off of a missed free throw, tip back, wide open three. Crazy ending to this ball game. Uh, Corey, were you able to see that ending? No, I wasn't able to, but I can tell you one thing. He wouldn't have been able to play for ECB because we can flat out shoot, man. But hey, tell him. <laughs> talk that shit. You know we can hey, shoot. I'm, <laughs> talk hey, that I'm shit. just saying, you know, corner, uh, corner specialists, we may have a few of those. Uh, dude, we can light it up. We're going to get Team ECB together one day and uh, run some people off the gym. But, um, Corey, let's, before we kind of round this uh, weekend out of games, we got to talk about your Hoosiers. I was told you we would segue into them eventually. You know, I use one five in a row now. They dominated Ohio State last night in Assembly Hall 86-70. This looks like a far cry from the team that had just lost three in a row to start the month of January. Talk to us about your Hoosiers, man. And Jalen hood Shafino put a show on last night. You know, I mean, he absolutely could not miss from three. The biggest thing is, is I mean, I, I've i seen them kind of score the basketball. I've seen them kind of have the, you know, but last night, right there at the end of the first half, I mean, they went on a 15 to nothing run. Uh, I think they had four or five straight steals, and they just absolutely clamped down on Ohio State to kind of separate the game out. It was a close game throughout the majority of the first half, and then out of nowhere, it was just like they just intensified the, you know, or uh, really came and uh, increased the intensity, and they just absolutely suffocated Ohio State, turned the ball over, and it led to, I think, four or five straight fast-break layups uh, to take it from, I think, a three-point lead out to a 15-, 16-point lead at the half. Uh, came into the second half, and you know, Ohio State tried to throw some punches, closed it down to, like, nine, um, but Indiana just held and, uh, Trace Jackson Davis with uh, Jalen Hood, Savino, I mean, they are starting to figure it out. Uh, Malik Renault came in, played some you know, really good or, uh, minutes. Innings. It's like I'm a baseball guy or something. Uh, but no, he came in, played some key minutes. He's starting to figure it out, moving his feet um, from the three-point line. I think they shot 50% throughout the entire game. I mean, they hit the shots they needed. I mean, it's an exciting time. I don't know what happened in that three-hour practice with Mike Woodson before uh, this win streak kind of started, but you know, they're taking out, you know, the competition on the floor and through the rafters. So it's an exciting time. And and Xavier Johnson seems to be getting closer each day to coming back. If he can integrate himself back in slowly to what Indiana's doing, that gives them another weapon in the backcourt. I'm telling you, Peyton, Indiana, Lenardi's got him in his updated bracketology late last night, has him to a five seed, one of the first teams ready to jump to a four line. Indiana gets hot, especially we're going to preview this game fully in depth in the midweek episode of ECB. So that will come. But if they can beat Purdue next week, Peyton, the Hoosiers are all the way back and I'm all the way back in on them. This is a dangerous team despite not shoot. I mean, they did hit 10 to 20 from three last night, you know, 50%. But if they can continue to play defense the way they're playing, play through Trace, and have a superstar in Jalen hood Shafino continue to show out. Peyton, this is an Indiana team that not only can be second weekend, can push. I don't know if they can get there, but they can push for a potential Final Four. 
If Xavier Johnson comes back and he's healthy and he is good, Xavier, and he can pit a street together in March where he can go like a Willie Martin did last year for Kansas, he's capable of doing that. I'm not writing Indiana off saying that they can't get to the Final Four because they can absolutely get to the Final Four. Defensively, they're great. Uh, offensively, they're good. TJD is a player of the year type player. Uh, he had 18 points, 10 rebounds. He had six assists. Dropping dimes off as well. I mean, that's incredible for him. Um, only one foul. And uh, the fact is they shot well in this game, 50%, 10 of 20 from the three-point line. I like this IU squad, man. They're built to win. Defensively, they're really fucking good. And if Xavier Johnson comes back and he's healthy, um, it could be type of another, like I mentioned, it could be another Remy Martin type situation where he just goes off in the fucking tournament, goes off in March, and in the end it can be fucking going to the Final Four or something Purdue will not be doing because they fucking suck. Fuck Purdue. Um, <laughs> but one hey. thing I will say, what? What? We're supposed to be media here. Media. Hey, I, I'm going to say that I've never agreed with Peyton so much before on this show. Yeah, man. Well, you want to know why Indiana's on this five-game winning streak? Oh, uh, by the way, before I before I ask that, if you're Ohio State, don't play Indiana. Indiana teams, men's or women's, at Assembly Hall. Don't fucking do it. Because you, the fucking women's team beat them. Fucking well, I forgot what the score was, but they beat them in Assembly Hall in a big time game. Um, top five, top ten matchup, and it was a hell of a game. And McKenzie um, Holmes, I think, had like twenty five in that game. But yeah, you know why Indiana? Men's and women's is doing so good right now. And Decoy, this is for you, man. You want to know why? No, nope, never mind. All right, go ahead. I got it. Fucking never mind. Fucking ad. <laughs> Fuck YouTube music, man. Well, I'll figure it out. I'll do it Thursday. Um, hey, there is one thing I no, did want to point out about. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say, they also hit their free throws. 12-17 from the foul line. That's been a big Achilles heel the last couple of years for them. They start getting free throws, man. As much as they go to the line, that's a huge plus as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they uh, they absolutely have a, a conference player of the year and an All-American contention uh, player in uh, Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, he didn't have his uh, his average night of, you know, what was it, 30 or 29 and 21 or whatever that he's been averaging over the last few games. But, I mean, he still came out. Uh, and I can say that Ohio State was the first team that actually tried to take away the left hand and uh, tried to double down and do some things, and he still uh, – Peyton kind of touched on it. He passed the ball out. He did a lot of huge things, uh, dishing the ball, uh, limited the turnovers. Um, you know, and just a kind of random fact, but having Race Thompson back in the starting lineup, having, a, you know, another senior leader, Indiana, when they have uh, both those guys are actually uh, – I think they're 15 and 15 and 3, and then when they're missing those guys, they're 2 and 3. So – uh, you know, having having race back or having at least one of them in the starting lineup uh, together is a huge differential. Um, and you know, I think I think if Xavier comes back, kind of integrates himself back into the offense, uh, takes care of the ball, I think I think Indiana, the you know the the ceiling is getting higher and higher. I'm excited to see what happens comes March. Yeah, good stuff from IU. Uh, looking at this Purdue game, 54 seconds left to go in the first half. Boilers are up 36-22, so as long as they don't collapse, looks like they're going to be back to the number one team in the nation come tomorrow. But what we're going to do now is take our one and only commercial break of the show. We're going to let some ads play here from some of our hey, sponsors. Hey, before we do that. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about the, what happened we do in that, Assembly Hall, well, I was going to say, I want to touch on it. If, you know, if we can't take him out off the floor, take him up or out from us. So. 
I, I barely Talk heard about that. A, say that uh, again. Absolute freak act. I was going to say, if we can't take him out on the floor, we're going to take him out from above. Because, I mean, that was an absolute freak hey, accident that, you know, could have absolutely ended let, dangerously. Let's save that. We'll use that as a teaser. We'll come back with what happened, and then we'll get into some previews right after these commercial breaks here. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season. So check out the website, www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. To all of our good people, uh, go check out houseenterprise.com. That's where we are located out as well. Great collection of writers over there. As I mentioned, I was part of the House College Hoops podcast on Thursday evening. Go give that a listen. Go check out, as we mentioned top of the show, our friends and our sister side of Everything Pro Wrestling. You can find them where Conrad had mentioned. Uh, I'm sure they're doing a big-time Royal Rumble review. Look ahead to what's happened on the road to WrestleMania. It's a fun time if you are a pro wrestling fan. And if you're a Laps pro wrestling fan, this is the best time of year to get back into it. A lot of great stuff in the world of professional wrestling. Corey, we kind of used it as a teaser, but before we get into the games for the beginning part of this upcoming week, because we've got some big ones out in the Big 12, as we do every week, uh, one big-time rematch we want to discuss, but go ahead and let everybody know exactly what you were talking about, because this could have been catastrophe if this went a little differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, coming back from halftime, uh, Ohio State was back on the floor, uh, Indiana was kind of breaking their huddle, but... Bryce uh, Sensible was walking back towards the uh, uh, defensive side of the court, right at half court, and all of a sudden a, uh, a metal bar from the rafters actually fell and landed probably about maybe five to eight feet away from him, uh, right, right at half court, um, and kind of caused a little bit of a delay for a few minutes for them to kind of go up and check everything out. But talk about an absolute freak and accident that could have ended in disastrous for somebody. Well, Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com had tweeted because he was in attendance and um, he tweeted about it that 
it, it concerned Ohio State head coach Chris Holtman Payton to the point where he was talking to I think it was their not their athletics director but like their basketball operations person about what could be done if they could potentially even postpone this game because he was nervous about the optics, maybe more stuff falls, and rattled, according to Matt Norlander. And to be honest, I think I would too. Because if a bar is going to fall, who's to say something else ain't going to fall? And God forbid that whole Tron came down. That would be, we would be talking a completely different tragic situation right now. Thank God it didn't. Thank God the bar didn't hit Sensible or anybody, any other player. But what a crazy, scary situation that turned out to be, potentially. Oh, you're talking about scary fucking Griffey, your damn cat behind you just scared the shit out of me. I did not expect him to be right behind you. Holy fuck, scared the, oh, sorry, excuse me, holy freak, it scared the shit out of me. But <laughs> talking, talking about this, it was a scary incident. Thank God it didn't happen. Thank God it didn't happen. Thank God it pulled an unky, uh, Uncle Howdy and completely missed him. Because that could have been catastrophic, like you mentioned. Um, and uh, yeah, thank God it didn't happen. Could have been bad, but you know what? Let's turn our attention to the action this week, Peyton. What's on the docket for the beginning part of this upcoming week in college basketball? Well, we got Kentucky facing Ole Miss. No, I'm fucking, I'm kidding. Uh, we got to go to the rematch. It's time. They beat us in their home building. They beat us in the Octagon of Doom. They beat us in the Bramlage Coliseum. Get a better name. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Um, they beat us in Kansas State. Now they're coming to the fog. It's the rematch. It's Kansas State taking on the Jayhawks. Kansas State won 80, what was it, 83 to 82 in overtime. But let's not forget the first matchup. They went ballistic from three. They shot 41% from the three-point line. Um, seven of 17 from the three-point line. Let's also not forget that three of Kansas starters. KJ Adams, Grady Dick, and Kevin McCullough all fouled out. Let's not forget that DeWan Harris, the best point guard in the country, went out th like three minutes after he banged his head off of the floor. Let's not forget that Jalen Wilson had an incredible, incredible, a clear night, 38 points in that first matchup. And would have won the game. We was one time out of the way from potentially winning that. We went up three and said we went up. He built up, called a timeout, and we lost. Who cares? This game is going to be very interesting and very uh, fun to watch. Um, Fog Allen's going to be loud. Like I said, it's a revenge game. There's not too many coaches in the world that I take when it comes to revenge games more than Bill Self. He's incredible at it. We just snapped off a three-game losing streak. Bill Self in his career at Kansas has never, we forgot to mention this Thursday and Sunday, but he has never went on a four-game losing streak at his tenure at Kansas. And it still continues that streak as we beat Kentucky Saturday night. And now we get Kansas State Tuesday night. January 31st. I don't know what time that game tips off, I'm sure. Uh, it's actually going to be on ESPN+, Plus, which that actually sucks. Uh, That's I, so stupid. I, I Yeah, I wish that game was going to be on actual television. But unfortunately, it's going to be ESPN+. Plus, so hopefully the viewers-wise, because the first game, this game drew like 1.5 million viewers. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was a big-time viewers gate for them, for ESPN. I uh, don't know why they depend on ESPN+. Plus, but What are whatever. we doing, networks? Big 12, what are we doing? Yeah, uh, Ken Palm has Kansas winning this game 75-69. And I see Kansas winning this game, but I think it's going to be another high-scoring one. Uh, Dwan Harris is going to play 
it lights out like he did in the first game against them when he had 13 assists. Jalen Wilson's probably going to go for another 25-point-plus game. But I think the difference maker, KJ Adams, he ended up, like I mentioned, he fouled out. But before he fouled out, he was just eating them alive inside. His athleticism and the way he played in that first game was a difference maker, and I think it's going to be a difference maker in this one. I think he gets about 20-plus in this game. It's going to be hard fought, but I got to go with my Jayhawks. I think Kansas wins, gets to revenge, 79-75. to yeah, I am. It's going to be hard to to pick against Kansas in the fog, but there's something about this K State team that just intrigues the hell out of me. You mentioned that first ep- the first game. You forgot to say that Desi Sills went off as well. Twenty four points in this game was incredible. Do I think he'll replicate that? Probably not. Do I think he can have double figures? Absolutely. But also, I have to go back and look if I remember right. Uh, Marquise Noll did not play well in this ball game. Yeah, he had four points. Yeah, so the one shot him out. I know the Kansas perspective. You're also talking though that Noel did not play well. I don't think that's going to happen again. It's kind of I don't think Sills is going to play that well, but I also don't think Noel's going to play that bad. So if Noel continues to get red hot scoring the ball, that's a whole new can of worms to worry about. I think this is a fun one. I think these teams are more closely uh, similar than they are away from each other. And this could be a toss-up. I I do think it's going to be a toss-up. My brain says Kansas wins this game in Fog Allen and splits the regular season series. My brain says everything that you mentioned, Jalen Wilson with Dick and K.J. Adams will do enough to win this game 84-82. But my heart, because Noel did not play well, my heart says K-State wins this game and sweeps them with Noel going for a 30-piece. You get Keontae Johnson continuing to play well with like 18, 19, 20 points. Maybe Sills gives you 12. My heart says Kansas State wins this game 85-84. So I'm really torn on this, but I'll go with the head the brain on this one. I'll say Kansas wins this game. I think it's a close one. I think Noel shows up in this game when he didn't in the first one, but I think this is a very close ball game all the way through. Kansas going to stay a foul trouble, uh, just like the first meeting. Kansas State puts so much pressure going downhill on you. With They will ball screen Kansas. They will spread them out, and they will attack the paint. Kansas has to stay out of foul trouble because if they're in foul trouble early, K-State can gap them. And we've seen a team go into Allen Fieldhouse and put a beating on them already this year. Kansas has to be very cognizant of defending without fouling, slowing K-State's backcourt down. But I I think Kansas will do enough to win this game, but I would not be shocked if K-State sweeps them this year. There's two there's two key factors of this game. And it's my overall number two contender player of the year, Jalen Wilson, and an absolute stud of Grady Dick. I think I think both of those guys are gonna be pissed off about the way the last game turned out. I think uh where's this game at again, Peyton? I I can't remember. Oh, it's in, you know, Fog Allen, Allen Fieldhouse. Okay. Yeah, Allen Fieldhouse. I think that's factor number, you know, three. So between those three things, I think there's no way that Kansas uh, doesn't even the series out uh, in this matchup. I think uh, 
I think Kansas comes out and uh, has another great performance out of those two guys. I think overall um, they kind of figure out some things. Uh, I think Bill Celsion makes some adjustments just like he did against Kentucky on Saturday. I think Kansas takes this one. Uh, let's go 81-76. Peyton, uh, ESPN Plus thing ridiculous. Like, how do you have a top – be able to – like they do in pro football, be able to flex games for like a bigger game that you can move it to a primetime slot. They should be able to flex this. I don't care if it was on the schedule earlier in the year. Now knowing what we know about both these teams – they should be able to change something around and move this to where it is on national cable. Like this is ridiculous. It's not on and you have to have ESPN plus I'm which I've got it, but not everybody does. So everybody in the world should be able to watch this game on Tuesday night. What time's the but, game uh, on Tuesday hey, night? what we got up next? Uh, let me figure that out. Uh, it's 8 p.m. Oh, you know why it's not on is because Indiana and Maryland are playing on ESPN too. Oh, so they, they God. Priority. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that, that right. might be true. We'll what, see. Hey, you mentioned... You mentioned Indiana in the Maryland game. Go ahead and let's talk about it. Hoosiers on the road right. at Maryland. Uh, what What are you feeling? I, say, I think this is going to be the toughest uh, road matchup that we've had in a little bit. Um, Maryland just one of those teams that, you know, on any given night can, can beat you, especially at home. Um, you know, I, I've, I wish I was more confident in this game than I am, uh, especially when we just went up to the barn, uh, and struggled against the Minnesota team that was lacking. Uh, Indiana just never plays well against Maryland. I don't know what it is. They had our number back in, uh, for the national championship back in, you know, 2001 to, you know, every year it looks like, you know, it's always a, a great battle for uh, in the Big Ten ever since they've came over. Um, I think Trace Jackson Davis has to go off again. I think, um, you know, uh, Jalen Hood, uh, Scafino needs to have another great game. And I think Indiana needs somebody else to step up. If it's uh, Tamar Bates or if it's uh, Galloway or if it's, you know, whoever it may be. But uh, I think Miller Cop has to hit a couple shots early to kind of be a differential maker. Um I wish I could say I was more confident than I am. Uh, my heart obviously wants to go with Indiana taking a, you know, really close, maybe one or two point lead, like, you know, or win. Uh, like, you know, I think, I think no matter what, Indiana needs to put up 80 points again. Plus, um, you know, the biggest thing is, is, you know, how well we can come out and respond early, um, you know, playing up there. I, uh, you know, uh, my brain says Maryland, but my heart says Indiana. So, I'm going to listen to my heart this time. I'm going to go Indiana 81 to 78. Well, here's something else you want to keep in mind, too, is that this could be a very – this. I mean, this is a trap game, right? Because you're whether you're, you understand you've got to play and obviously beat Maryland, everybody's in the back of their minds thinking about Saturday at home against Purdue. That That's the reality of it. But you got to take care of business against Maryland first. So this is a trap game for Indiana – if you don't come ready to play, Maryland's good enough to clip you. I, I just like the way Indiana's playing. Yeah, their last couple on the road, they had that dominant win against Illinois, who continues the surge right now. And then, you know, last Wednesday, you struggled at Minnesota. So Indiana's, uh, like most teams, difficult on the road. You kind of never know who you're going to get. But I think Indiana, their, their post play is – with Trace Jackson Davis is a little too much. Maryland playing for their tournament life, 
14 and seven. And I think they're solidly in right now, but schedule's not going to get any easier. So with seven losses already, a win like this would only help solidify, you know, them being in the tournament. They got a top 50 offense and top 50 defense. Maryland is a tough out, especially at home. Jameer Young has been absolutely outstanding in the backcourt for them. Dante Scott's been good. Hakeem Hart has been up and down, but he's been pretty good. This is a tough matchup. And again, like I said, it's a trap game. But at the end of the day, I just think Indiana is playing at a, an entirely different level right now. Cam has them losing 72-70. I think Indiana takes care of business, sets up a massive matchup on Saturday in Assembly Hall against Purdue. And I think Indiana wins this game 68-61. Quick question, Coy. Uh, which team does Trace Jackson Davis play for again? The Indiana Hoosiers. Okay. Well, Indiana wins this game by eight points or more. There you go. Well, I will point to- out there. I was going to say, I just will point out there's one key factor for Indiana this year is 14 out of their 15 wins this year have come by 10-plus points. So, you know, it, they kind of need to show that they can battle a close game and win it out. Uh, or actually, sorry, 13 out of the 15 now that the Minnesota game. So 13 out of 15 wins have been 10-plus points. So uh, I think that's going to be, you know, a key factor. You know, Peyton kind of touched on with that eight, eight range. I think it'll be a little bit closer. But, you know, can they battle out and win that close game? That's a that's a very good stat, actually. The other game being close was the Xavier game earlier in the year on the road. Um, let's talk about their counterpart, though. Purdue right now is taking care of business because Michigan State at home. But they've got a trap game as well. Wednesday night, they play host to Penn State. We just off-air talked about Penn State. Penn State's a tournament team, fellas. And they shoot the three with crazy effectiveness. And they're going to take a lot of them. Purdue's uh, number four in offense right now, number 19 in defense. Their three-point defense is really great. 29.5% opposing teams are shooting from three. That's going to be the deep, that's going to be the difference maker right there. Because again, Penn State shoots the three ball so damn well, and they will take a lot of them. They are 20th in the nation, shooting 38.3%. And it would probably be a lot higher if they didn't take so many attempts from three. They are actually fourth in the nation when it comes to percentage point distribution, total percentage of points. They have 43.5% of their total points coming from the three-point line. So it shows how effective they are. And they've got an unsung hero on their team, a potential All-American, Big Ten, all I mean, all Big Ten guy. Jalen Pickett is tremendous. He's had a triple-double this year as a 6-4 guard. He rebounds, obviously. He assists. He steals. He shoots. He passes. I think this for Purdue is a trap game as well because what what happens? How do you beat Purdue? You pull Edie and their bigs away from the rim, and Penn State runs a spread offense that will make Edie have to defend the three-point line more than he's accustomed to. If guys like Pickett and Seth Lundy and especially a guy like Andrew Funk can hit shots, Oh, my God. I think Penn State can upset them. I don't think they will. I think Purdue ends up at the end of the game winning this by double digits, 10, 11, 12 points. But, man, if Penn State can have one of those nights like they've had all season where they hit 14, 15 threes, I think we're talking about another upset. I hate to keep doing this because it sounds, like, so simple. But to be honest, it kind of is. Which team does Zach Zach Eady play for again? It's for Purdue. That I mean, 
He's going to get a double-double. And the thing is, like, defensively, he's going to get drawn away from the rim. Penn State's going to stretch it out. They're going to be able to hit some shots. They're going to do that to him defensively. He's going to have trouble. But offensively, like, Pitt State's going to have to guard the paint. I mean, with Zach Eady on the floor, he's going to slow the game down just him being on the paint or being on the floor, just period. I bet they going to I bet they well, go ahead and do that because you have to face guys like Braden Smith who can hit shots, Fletcher Lawyer can hit shots. Go ahead and do that because Zach Eady, he's a good he passer too. He's a good passer too. So it's not only what he does in the paint. Like he's able to pass it out of a double team. And uh, if he can just get the ball down to the paint, and then he try to play zone, and they try to lock him down low. But guess what? He's just going to kick it to Fletcher Lawyer for a three-pointer in the corner. I think Penn State's in trouble. I think Purdue wins this game. Uh, I think it's going to be tough. Majority of the game, but Purdue stretches out late and wins this game by six points. But you got to pick your poison. And Purdue, yes, they have shooters. Like, they absolutely have guys. Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, uh, Brandon Newman, Mason Gillis can hit it, Ethan Morton. They've got shooters. But you got to pick your poison. And if you can limit Zach Eady and make Purdue take a bunch of threes and just hope that they miss, I think that's, your for Penn State at least, I think that's your only hope. Because I don't think you can man them for a whole game because you're going to get diced up unless you decide to go the Shaq route when Shaq was at LSU and Indiana knocked him out in the tournament. And Bob Knight said, we'll let Shaq get his 30 and 20. Everybody else is going to get shut down. You could do it that way too. But I, I think you play the zone, make Purdue an outside shooting team, pray that they miss, and you hit a bunch. I, I think for Penn State, that's the path to victory. Um, let's go back to Monday night because there was a game in the Big 12 we forgot to mention. We got Baylor going on the road to Texas, Peyton. We know the Moody Center has been rocking all year. They're coming off of loss to Tennessee. Baylor's red hot. Any chance that Texas takes down Baylor in this game? They hit shots. I mean, anyone can pull off any type of upset, especially at home if you hit shots. I mean, it's that simple. But they got they got the talent. You know, Marcus Carr is a really good player. And, uh, you know, I think Tyrese Hunter has to play well, has to give some give uh, Carr some help. And I think the front court, like guys like Cunningham coming off the bench, I think he's going to be key for this game. He's going to have to be able to play with a guy like Flo Thamba and be able to go back and forth with him on both sides of the floor. But I'm in love. I love Baylor's guard play. Keontae George is so damn good. He's so fun to watch. And then Adam Flag is a bucket getter, and so is LJ Cryer. I think Baylor goes into uh, the Moody Center and pits up some numbers, wins this game, 84-78. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right, Baylor should win this game, but we know what the Moody Center does, and Baylor just played a close one against Arkansas that didn't have two of their absolute best players, maybe their two best players. I think Texas knocks them off here. I think the Big 12 is just so wild and crazy right now. I think Texas gets them. Uh, probably a high-scoring affair. Well, not crazy, but probably like low 80s. So I'll say Texas wins this game 83-79. to There's something about that center that just changes this Texas team. The crowd's going to be electric, 10,000 strong in there. I got Texas on the slight upset. I think uh, I think we've kind of touched on it. Baylor has the you know the best guard play or the best backcourt in uh, college basketball this year. Uh, you know we talked or you just kind of mentioned the Arkansas Baylor game. Uh, the biggest differential is is you know good teams find a way to win close games, and that's what they did against Arkansas. They they had one of their worst shooting nights, shooting thirty three percent from the floor, and they still found a way to win. Um, I think Texas is going to defend. I think you know, but I think just Baylor just has too many options. I think. Uh, 
I think Baylor goes uh, into the Moody Center and uh, and steals one. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a really good game. I just think the inconsistency of inconsistency of uh, Texas plays factor again. Um, I think Baylor wins this one, uh, seventy nine to seventy one. Hey, real quick, we got two more on the docket. This one, we don't have to go full in depth, but I think it's very interesting clash on Tobacco Road. Wake Forest goes into Cameron Indoor on Tuesday night in a battle of upper-mid-tier ACC teams jockeying for position. Wake Forest is 14-8 and eight on the year. Duke is 15-6. and six. Duke blew out Georgia Tech yesterday to kind of have a nice feel-good win, kind of see if they get back on track. But Duke's got Carolina on Saturday, we talk about again trap games with Indiana and Purdue. This could be a very much a trap game. Wake Forest is tougher than hell. Shout out our guy David Williamson, Tyree Appleby, great backcourt down there, and um, Winston Salem, North Carolina. Uh, Damari Monsanto has kind of shown out this year as a, as a junior year. You know, Cameron Hildreth. This is a pretty solid Wake Forest team. Again, not fully in depth, but just uh, your thoughts. Do you think I, I, I'll just put it out here if I'll stop stuttering? <laughs> Wake Forest gets this win in Cameron. I, I just don't trust Duke. I don't trust their offense. Uh, I just don't trust them. And I like this Wake Forest team. So I'm saying Wake goes into Cameron and beats them. I think, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Um, I know Duke's been struggling, you know, up and down. Uh, inconsistency, but I think I just don't see them going and, and losing one down Tobacco Road, especially at home and uh, Cameron Indoor. I think uh, I think Duke takes this one 71-66. I think Duke's in trouble long term if Duke Wyatt does not does not come back. I don't know what the extent of his injury is when he got injured at Virginia Tech, but I know it didn't look good and. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but if he's long, if he's gone for any extended period of time, then they're in trouble offensively and defensively. Like he's a good defender, his athleticism to be able to make plays above the rim is just ridiculous. And uh, but I think it's going to be fine because Filipowski's been incredible this year for them offensively, putting up some numbers. I think it's going to be good enough that, like Corey mentioned, it's at Cayman Indoor. I think Duke squeezes this one out in a low-scoring defensive battle. I think it's going to be 68-61 to 61 Duke wins. And then the last one out in the Big East Conference on Wednesday evening, Xavier playing host to Providence. This is a battle. Xavier got beat up by a surging Creighton team last night or yesterday afternoon out in Omaha, Peyton. This is a big one. You look at the Big East Conference right now, and – if I can get this to pull up, Marquette is now technically ahead of Xavier. They're both tied at nine and two. Providence is right behind them, a half game out at eight and two. Creighton has surged up to seven and three. That's the top four right now in the Big East. This game right here honestly could be for first place, depending on what happens with Marquette. How do we feel about this game down in the Centos Center? Providence coming into Xavier. This game is going to be fun to watch. Watch Bryce Hopkins be able to do what he does. I think he has a good game. I think he has a double-double in this one. I think Jared Bynum, I mean, he's been struggling all year this year. Um, he's had a couple games where he'd go for, like, maybe 20 points plus or 15 points plus. But 
overall, he's just been struggling. Has not been the player that he was last year. I think he's going to be very important, a detrimental for this team in this game. But guys like Sully Bone, Sully Bone's so damn good. It's a shame that when ESPN on College Game Day was talking about the most impactful, impactful yep. tra- transfers coming into this year, and that he wasn't even on the list. It's a shame that he's not number one because he is number one in my eyes. He's the most impactful transfer in college basketball this year, and he's so good and so key for this Xavier squad. And the fact that they lost to Creighton team, who's starting to rise up, which I predicted that one. They're starting to play a lot better now that Cockburn is back. Xavier's going to be pissed off, and they're going to want to defend their home court. And if this was at the Amp, I'd pick Providence to win. But it's not. You got to take the show on the road. Can't always win games at your home building. You can't always play games at your home building. You got to go to Xavier. And Xavier's a tough place to play. Sean Miller's going to get it figured out. Xavier wins this game. Yeah, I'm with you. Ken Palm has Xavier winning 81-77. And Xavier's a tale of two teams, kind of like Purdue was last year. They're sixth in offense, and they are 95th in defense. We've heard Sean Miller in recent weeks talk about the struggles defensively. They got to figure it out. They got to figure it out. Providence brings in the number 21-ranked offense in the country. They're 58th in defense. Providence, fifth in the nation in offensive rebound percentage, 37.7%. It's going to be interesting because Xavier does a good job keeping teams off the backboard. But going along with Xavier's defense, they allow – they're 299th in three-point defending. They allow teams to shoot 36% from three. And Providence isn't a great three-point shooting team themselves. They only shoot 33.9, which puts them at 170 in the country. But this is going to be a slugfest. The Big East is just – they. it's a physical league. Like, we think the Big Ten is physical. The Big East is physical and nasty. And Providence, that plays in their favor. But at the end of the day, being at home, you mentioned guys like Sully Boom, Colby Jones, uh, Zach Fremantle, Jack Nunge. I think that Ken Palm has this pretty much right on the head. It's going to be a very close one-possession, two-possession game all the way through. This could be a game that has, like, 10 or 12 lead changes as well. But I think at the end of the ballgame, Xavier wins by a couple points. So I'm going to go with what Ken Palm says. I think Xavier wins 81-77. I think uh, I think Xavier is one of the best overall rounded teams. I think you know I think Creighton's honestly one of the best eight loss teams, if not the best eight loss team in the entire country right now. Uh, they went through absolutely, a rough stretch. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, no matter what, when you go out to Omaha, I mean, Omaha is just a special place. Uh, it's tough to play. I mean, college basketball is tough to play on the road in period, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that was kind of a deciding factor. I think, you know, Creighton's starting to figure it out. So, but, uh, but Xavier, you know, I mean, at home in the Centos, you know, center is very difficult. Uh, I mean, right now Providence is playing at Villanova and struggling. They're only up by one point with, you know, eight minutes to go in the second half. Um, you know, it's, it's the big East. I mean, it's, it's good basketball. Xavier's extremely tough. Uh, I think they're going to write the ship, and I don't see them dropping two straight games. I just don't see a period. Uh, I think they take this one. uh, I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to say 87 to 74. I think they're going to run away with it a little bit. All right, let's go for the bank on it. For This will encapsulate the whole week since we don't do bank on it and shout-outs during the midweek episode since it's a little shorter, a little more direct. For this one, this encapsulates the whole week of college basketball ahead, and that's a lot to cover. So I'm going to – Payne, I don't know if you have the updated graphic or if you've got it or not. Do you? 
No, okay. No, so since we'll Phil, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get it back up once Phil comes back. Okay, so we will get back on track with all that. But I, I'm going to take a parlay here, bank on it. I'm going to double dip. I say Kentucky wins both their games this week against Ole Miss and Florida. I think it's Florida, too, I said, right? Florida. Uh, let me look that up, make sure real quick. I think it was Ole Miss, I know, on Tuesday night and Florida on Saturday. Let me double check. I should know this. Off the it, top is. Of my head. it is. Um, yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so they go on the road, Ole Miss Tuesday, and then home against Florida Saturday. I think Kentucky gets back right, gets back to 16 wins. So I think Kentucky sweeps the week, and I think Indiana sweeps the week. I'm going with the Hoosier State and the Wildcat State, the Bluegrass State, should I say. Sweeping the week, going to combine 4-0. That's my bank on it. Corey, you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I'll let you go first because I got one, sure? a big one to come out on. Oh, yeah. You sure? Because I'm sure we'll probably yep. have the same one, at least same game. Yep. Yep. Saturday night, Indiana versus Purdue. Indiana takes down Purdue is what you want me to say. But I'm not doing it. I ain't doing it. I am sorry. I like this Purdue team. They're getting revenge from last year's game. Purdue goes into Assembly Hall and takes down your Hughes. The Boilermakers, bowler up, baby. Purdue knocks down IU. Bank on it. Corey, what a swerve that was. He got y'all hyped up dancing and then cut the rug out from under you. The typical Peyton, you know, just, he's like a hurricane. He leads with excitement and ends in disaster. You know, just like (laughs) both of his favorite teams. (laughs) All right, bank on it. Purdue against Penn State. Penn State hits 13 plus threes in that game. Bank on it. And bank on it on Saturday. Indiana wins by eight plus. I like it. I like it, dude. I can't wait eight for that plus. game. And I can't Actually, wait to you know what? review that Just, game. Just because I've been down in a few games or a few weeks of bank on it, I'm going to go for a three-peat this week. A little parlay action. Trace Jackson Davis outscores Zach Eady. I Dude, I don't see where those three are crazy. Honest to God, I don't. Um, I can't wait to per, per, like preview this Indiana-Purdue game during the midweek show because once we get in-depth and go by the numbers and analytics, that's going to be exciting. Cannot wait for that. Can't believe none of us talked about the Duke Carolina game. It doesn't feel that special this year. I honestly got it. Yeah, what happened to the best rivalry in college basketball history? Come on, yeah. Phil. Like, what happened to it? You just it, said it. it the best rivalry is Indiana Purdue. That is number one. We're already talking about <laughs> it. That's all there needs to be. Well, hey, trust me. We'll talk Duke Carolina in the midweek show, but I'm just saying on the surface, it doesn't feel special this year. Maybe it's because Duke's not good. Uh, whatever the case, we'll get into it in the midweek on episode 134. But let's round this thing out with shout-outs. 
I've got a couple. Shout out our guys from Bellarmine. Garrett Tipton hits a game winner the other night against Eastern Kentucky. Great stuff from uh, Coach Davenport's ball club. If you haven't seen it, Tipton just buries one and beats Eastern Kentucky. Great win for our guys down in Bellarmine. Got to give a shout out to Kaysan Wallace. I thought he played well, as well as I do Jalen Wilson. I thought both of them combined for really good games on opposite ends of the spectrum last night. And then I want to give a shout out to a SEC team because he has been red hot as well. Been very it was really kind of unexpected, but TCU loses to Mississippi State. Mississippi State gets a, a key quad one victory over a really good TCU team and was one of only three SEC wins during the challenge. But good Coach Jan's team to get a big marquee win to keep any hopes of the NCAA tournament alive. So those are my shout outs. Good on Mississippi State. That was a big win. Go ahead, go ahead. When do you guys go next? Uh, yeah, I'm going to shout out uh, Coach Terry Moran from Indiana. Uh, huge, uh, huge accomplishment of being the all-time winningest coach in IU history on the women's side uh, and also picking up a huge marquee win over number two, Ohio State. Um, you know, just overall, the uh, you know, the excitement around women's basketball in Indiana is, is growing. Uh, also, shout out to, uh, you know, overall the fans. I mean, um, I know it's, it's kind of, you know, to, or, uh, you know, a little bit on falling on that, but Indiana fans uh, set the all-time highest uh, uh, attendance record at 10,455 uh, in Assembly Hall uh, when in that game, and it was just as loud as what it is for any men's game. Um, the overall fan support and everything like that is just huge. Um, so that's pretty exciting, but, uh, both of my shout outs are there for the women's side, uh, this week. Three shout outs this week. Uh, first one, let's start off with this shout out and his last name's a little bit weird. So if I mispronounce your last name, apologies to you, but CN is Michael Bear. Um, over the weekend, he lost his dad to cancer and on the game, on the coaches versus cancer night against Iona. Um, he had the biggest game of school. He had 18 points, 12 rebounds, and a big time victory over Iona with big with uh, Mac implications, first place implications on the line. Um, 18 points, 12 rebounds, and he can't coming into this game. He only averaged 3.8 points per game. So on the night that it was cancer versus or coaches versus cancer night, and he lost his dad to cancer on the weekend. Hats off to you, man. Post game, post game press conference. He was emotional, obviously, as you expected. Um, hats off to you. Big time that's, performance by you. That's good stuff, man. That that's what makes you believe in that somebody's watching out over you. That's good stuff. Uh, I guess I got a pair here. That's gonna combine it into one shout out. Shout out to the Oklahoma basketball organization. Not just for men's, but also women's too. And I'll get to that in a minute. But the men's team, obviously, we talked about earlier, knocking off um, in all rankings the number one team in the country in Alabama. Not just knocking them off. They beat their ass. Uh, I forgot what the final score was. Like eighty nine or what? Eighty three to sixty nine. Yeah, that's what it was. Ninety three sixty nine. Beat their ass. The number one team in our ECB rankings that we do every week. Um, so shout out to the men's team for that. And going to the women's side. Ladies and gentlemen, we've seen a record get broke this week. Taylor Robinson from Oklahoma women's team 
has broke the NCAA women's basketball record for the most career three-pointers made with 498 three-pointers made from behind the arc. Shout out to her, incredible accomplishment. Um, she got to do it on on uh, at Oklahoma too. So, oh, it's on the road, so it was a big time accomplishment from her. So, shout out to her for that one. And my last shout out, shout out to ECB poll voter Matt Sack. He had the sign <laughs> of the week. UK Sack is better than greater than Kansas Dick. Well, guess what? You were wrong, cause great, cause Kansas Dick was better than your sack or Kentucky sack. Kansas knocks off Kentucky Saturday night, and all I gotta say about that, like one of my old friend Dylan growing up, his first PS3 game attack, just like he his first three game attack, I said, "Eat my sack, Matt." All right, go Kansas, rock chalk, great sign though, and uh, incredible. Shout out to all of them. Great stuff, fellas. Today, as always. Um... You know, I'm trying to put the right words here. We we didn't even mention in years past. I still remember because earlier in the week on Thursday, we had women's Connecticut versus women's Tennessee. And that used to be such that used to be one of the biggest games in college basketball, period, that nobody really cares about anymore, which is super sad. But I can't wait till we get to midweek to discuss Indiana, Purdue, to discuss Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, and everything else. The recap happened in the Kansas-Kansas State rematch, Texas-Baylor, all of it. But until episode 134, I hope you guys don't fall on black days. We will catch you on episode 134 midweek. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And until then, we will catch you down the road.